On each side of her forehead were hard, neat undulations of black hair that concealed the tips of her ears. She had laid aside her London hat and carried a red cotton contandinas umbrella, which threw a rosy glow onto the oval of her thin face and its colourless complexion. She bore the weight of her forty years extremely lightly, and but for the droop of skin at the corners of her mouth she might have passed as a much younger woman. Her face was otherwise unlined, and bore no trace of the ravages of emotional living which both ages and softens. Certainly there was nothing soft about her, and very little of the signs of age, and it would have been reasonable to conjecture that twenty years later she would look but little older than she did today. For such emotions as she was victim of were the sterile and ageless emotions of art. Such desires as beset her were not connected with her affections, but her ambitions. Dynasty she had none, for she was childless, and thus her ambitions were limited to the permanence and security of her own throne as Queen of Rhizome. She really asked nothing more of life than the continuance of such harvests as she had so plenteously reaped for these last ten years. As long as she directed the life of Rhizome, took the lead in its culture and entertainment, and was the undisputed fountainhead of all its inspirations, and from time to time refreshed her memory as to the utter inferiority of London, she wanted nothing more. But to secure that, she dedicated all that she had of ease, leisure and income. Being practically indefatigable, the loss of ease and leisure troubled her but little and being in extremely comfortable circumstances, she had no need to economise in her hospitalities. She might easily look forward to enjoying an unchanging middle-aged activity, while generations of youth withered round her, and no star remotely rising had as yet threatened to dim her unrivalled effulgence. Though essentially autocratic, her subjects were allowed and even encouraged to develop their own minds on their own lines, provided always that those lines met at the junction where she was stationmaster. With regard to religion, finally, it may be briefly said that she believed in God in much the same way as she believed in Australia, for she had no doubt whatever as to the existence of either, and she went to church on Sunday in much the same spirit as she would look at a kangaroo in the zoological gardens, for kangaroos come from Australia. A low wall separated the far end of her garden from the meadow outside. Beyond that lay the stream which flowed into the Avon, and it often seemed wonderful to her that the water which wimpled by would, unless a cow happened to drink it soon, be stealing along past the church at Stratford where Shakespeare lay. 